5, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. And stand with me as you turn, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, familiar passage of Scripture. And I've been thinking about our missions conference coming up, and this passage of Scripture came to mind. And I want to preach here from Matthew chapter 5, verses 14. Through 16, more of Jesus in the world. Well, our world needs more of the Lord, don't they? And the Bible says, I think of the scripture, our theme for the year, more about him. And all of us can use more of his control in our life. But I think of how much our world needs the Lord. And we see that emphasized here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. It says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Would you read those three verses out loud with me? That's verses 14 through 16. Read with me. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Well, we love you and we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in church. And we're thankful thankful that you have a purpose for us today to be a light in this world, to shine forth the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful, Lord, for that. I pray this morning that you'd give me wisdom in what I say and how I say it. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you touch our hearts this morning. Remind us of the purpose you've given to us and let us see our part in it. Lord, we love you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think of this passage of Scripture, and this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Lord is there around the Sea of Galilee. When we were in Israel a little, just over a year ago, and my wife and I had a privilege to stand in the spot where they assume or or where you gather a little bit that this sermon might have happened. And you can kind of see it from some of the landmarks that are here. Matter of fact, he, in verse 13, he says, ye are the salt of the earth. He uses that incredible picture. If you stand on the Sea of Galilee in that place where that sermon probably happened, you could go look down the Sea of Galilee and you could see turn toward Magdal. And Magdal was an area where the salt was. And as the men would catch their fish on the Sea of Galilee, and it wasn't a recreation for them, it was their livelihood, they would take their fish down to that city and they would salt them and prepare them if, essentially for shipping. That salt was a preservative. And so the Lord standing there and preaching to the people, he'd say, you're the salt of the earth, and he'd point down the sea, and they would get that picture of how the Christian or how they were meant to be a preservative in this world, a preservative in this world against, against its sin and its ugliness, right? But then he'd say, you're a light of the world, and he could point across the Sea of Galilee to Tiberias, and if you were there at the night, as then as well as now, the, the city lights and the people that live there, it lights up the night sky. And he would use that illustration. He said, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hilled, hid. You can't hide that, the lights of that city. And he would, he would use that illustration and he would, he would point that out. This place where the Sermon on the Mount more than likely happened, you could, if you stand at the top and speak, you could hear his voice could be heard all the way down to the sea so very easily. And they talked about how it was just a natural amphitheater. But the Lord is giving a, a tremendous picture to them. He's talking about that Christian and to his disciples about being a light in this world, about being a light to shine forth the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives them a caution. He gives them a caution here about how it can be hid. The first thing he says, we see it a little bit in a corporate way. He says in verse uh, verse 14, he said, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. He talks about the lights of a city. And then he talks here about the candlelight. Now, when we think about a candlelight, we think of a small individual light. And it's a picture of the individual, isn't it? And one one small light that they might have. Matter of fact, it speaks of the light in the home. 
and how it gives light to all that are therein and that individual light. But a city light is not just one light, is it? It's many lights, the lights of many homes, many individuals lighting up the sky. And there's a corporate look and there's an individual look. In other words, there's the light of the individual Christian that shines forth. And then if you would, there's the light of the New Testament church. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that has a goal set aside that follows the biblical plan of God to spread the gospel not only into our own Jerusalem and our own city, but into the uttermost parts of the earth. And we have a purpose as we gather to help ensure that the gospel, that the light of the gospel shines very brightly in our city and the places we'll never go. But the brightness of a church can only shine as brightly as the lights of the individual's. See, the brightness of the city isn't found in one singular light. It's found in the light of many shining very brightly. The Lord's giving that picture of how there is the corporate light of God's people shining out in the world, but it's a result of many lights of individuals shining forth. And God would give them this caution. He would say in that verse 15, he would say there, he would say, Let neither, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. A bushel was a basket. It was just a basket in which they would carry their, their wares and their things for sale. A farmer might carry some of the things he was taking to market in his basket. And, of course, they would take it back home. And so I picture the Lord preaching this sermon, and he'd point down to Magdal and say, you're the salt of the earth. And if the salt had lost its savor, where was how it would be salted, that preservative? And he'd say, you're the light of the world like the city on the other side. It must shine brightly. And he said, don't take that candle that you have, and when you go home, cover it with your bushel. And a bushel was a picture of their labor. It was their livelihood. They would carry their wares in it. It was a picture of their labor and what they did and their vocation. And he said, don't let that take precedent over your light, over your witness. In Luke chapter 8, in verse 16, the Lord would say this, No man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. In that passage of Scripture, he would liken their light. He said, don't put your light under a vessel. A vessel would speak of someone's position. The value of the vessel, varying in degrees, depending on what the person had in their life and their possessions in life. And the Lord would speak to that. Don't let your position in life become more important than your light. Don't let it become more important than your light. He would say, don't hide your light under your bed. And then... That was a picture of our leisure, our leisure. He said, don't let your leisure and your rest take precedent over your light. Now, everybody needs a bed to sleep in, right? I'm thankful that I had one to lay my head on last night. And everybody needs a bed to sleep in, right? Everybody needs some type of position, some place they may have in life that God has given them to serve him. And and we know this, every man needs a job, right? If a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. But what God is saying is not not to have a job, not not to have a position, and not not to have rest. But he's saying, don't ever let those things hold back your light. Don't ever let that labor, that job, that position, that rest, ever hold back the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think how easy it is to let that happen in life. To let our labor that we know that we need and the ability to work for which we are thankful to become the primary thing of importance in our light. And next thing you know, we're putting our bushel over our witness. Or we're putting our position in life. We're too afraid of what someone might think of our witness that we don't want to lose our position. So our position, our vessel covers our light. 
or our bed, our place of rest, our leisures in life become more important and we have too many leisures and too many things we want to do on the side that we just don't have time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord was challenging His people. There is a light to shine. The light to be shined. He said, don't, don't let it be covered and don't let it, let it be covered. Now, neither of those things would squelch the light because we know this, that if you trusted Christ as your Savior, we sang the song, sunlight, sunlight in my soul today. Aren't you glad that when you trusted Christ, it was once for all, forever? The Bible says, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That when you came to know Christ as your Savior, God took you and he put you in his hand. Friend, you're not holding on to God, God's holding on to you. That's a big difference, isn't it? Because my grip could weaken, my life could change, but, but God's grip never weakens. And he's not me holding on to him, it's him holding on to me. And he said, to as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the what? The sons of God. That I became a child again, born again, not of the flesh, but of, but of the spirit. And we became a child of God. That's a relationship that cannot be broken. You can hurt your fellowship, but not your relationship. It is a settled thing. The Lord said, I will never leave thee, nor what? Forsake thee. In order for you to lose the light, in order for the light to go out in your soul... God would have to be a liar. <laughs> now, you can't, the light won't go out, but if we're not careful, we'll, we'll cover the light. May of 1995, I was born again. June 3rd of 1980, I was born the first time into this world. And if I only had a natural birth, those three things that I mentioned would matter all of life to me. My vocation, my labor, my position, where I had arrived at in life, and my leisure. If I only had a natural birth, those things would be all. But thankfully, God didn't leave me in my natural state. Amen. He didn't leave me there. May of 1995, I came to know Christ as my Savior and I was born again. And from that day forward, it wasn't about my labor, my leisure, my position. It was about my Savior. When you came to know Christ, it became about your Savior. What a blessing that is. And the Lord calls them. Don't cover it. You can't put it out. But if we're not careful, we can cover it. We can hinder it, shine. And the Lord said, don't let it shine. And I, I want to see why. First of all, we see this because there is a great darkness. Go back a chapter, would you? Go back one chapter to chapter 4 and verse 12. Look at some of the setting that just before the Sermon on the Mount, there around the Sea of Galilee, you'd see the Lord make a decision. He would move. In verse 12, it says, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. That's where he'd spend the bulk of his ministry. And leaving Nazareth, the town in which he grew up, he came and dwelt in Capernaum. Capernaum's right on the Sea of Galilee. You could, just a small town, it would be like walking from here to to the activity center there on Howard Avenue. You'd be right there on the Sea of Galilee. He said, now when Jesus had heard that John was cast, or John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Nephilim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in what? darkness saw a great what light and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death light 
is sprung up. The Lord shows up in Galilee and the Lord would speak of it from the book of Isaiah and say, boy, those that sat in darkness in the shadow of death, there is a great darkness. If we're not, forget, if we're not careful, we will forget how dark this world is. Friend, there is a present darkness in this world. People can't, I think of when darkness comes. You know what happens in darkness? You can't, you can't see what you're like. You can't see yourself. You know, you ever, you ever have a stormy day? A stormy day and maybe your power goes out. Anybody ever have your power go out? That is the great horror of Sunday mornings. For God forbid that a storm should arise on Sunday morning. And before service, the power would go out. I'd be fine, all right? I don't have much to do to get ready. My wife doesn't need to get ready. She's so beautiful already. But, but she would like, it's Valentine's coming up. I got her in some points. All right, all right. And, uh, you know, she doesn't need it, right? But, but what happens on Sunday morning, you ladies know, you go into the, re- into the bathroom and you turn on the lights and you look into the mirror and then begins the process. All right, that's where we'll stop there. All right. And if the power were to go out, how bad is that, right? Because if the light is not there, how do you know how much makeup? I've never put it on makeup, all right? My wife could tell you. I know because I see it, all right, there on the counter, all right? But how do you see to what needs to, what to put on? Fellas, how would you shave very well? Girl, one of these, you don't have to shave very much, just trim, all right? But how would you, how do you look? How do you fix it? How do you see what's there? Well, you can't because it's dark. We live in a dark world. But the world doesn't realize how dark it is. The scripture would remind us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Show me a righteous soul without Christ. There is none. It is dark. And yet we live in a world when people feel good many times about where they are. The gospel is offensive, isn't it? It reminds me of something. Seth Hahn, you're a sinner. David would say in Psalms 51, in iniquity was I conceived. He said, I came into this world a sinner. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 would, would tell us this, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sin. Friend, you were a sinner when you were born. And not by the choices of our own actions, but because of the nature of our birth. Friend, your parents, before you were sinners, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, who made that decision to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, to disobey their God, and to separate themselves from God. And as a result of it, every man and woman born into this world were born with a sinful heart. And you don't have to live very long before that sinful heart shows itself in sinful action. Sinners by birth and sinners by, na- by, by nature, sinners by choice. One of the offensive things of the gospel is that folks don't like to hear that they're a sinner. We live in a dark world. Matter of fact, if you were to ask many people, are you, do you think you would... Go to heaven if you die. They say, well, I, I think so. I hope so. I think I'm doing more good than bad. Dark. But when you shine the light on it, when you shine the light on it, 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. There is none. It's a dark world. The darkness of the consequences of sin, broken lives and broken homes and sin that just corrupts and destroys. And many times we try to lay it out to circumstances and choices and all of those things. But if we really get down to the, the root of it, we would have to say it's sin. It's sin. That has touched the heart and life of every person in this world. It's dark. In the nature of man, and we live in a world that Boy, they flee the light. And, Matt, and John, the Lord, would even say that men love darkness because their deeds are what? Evil. They run to the dark because in the dark, evil deeds don't look so bad. But in the bright light, they look really bad. There's a darkness in this world. There's a greater darkness coming. Matthew 22, 9 through 13 says, Go ye therefore into the highways... And as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. So those servants went into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said to the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a parable there of God telling, giving us a teaching on reaching others and going into the highways and compelling them to come in and telling them about Christ. And this servant would go out and compel them to come in and one would show up at the feast wearing his street clothes. Now you'd say, well, maybe he couldn't afford it. But the custom of the day, when kings and princes would have these feasts and these weddings, they, they would give as a gift to their guests a wedding garment. A garment to wear when they arrived, something to wear as they entered into the, into the feast. And this man had somewhere decided that his own righteousness was good enough. And the king at the feast said, where's your wedding garment? Outer darkness. There's a world in the darkness of the world sometimes doesn't see how awful sin is and thinks their righteousness is sufficient and if they don't come to know Christ, they're going to show up one day and find out their own righteousness is as filthy rags and hear the words, depart from me, for I never knew thee. A bottomless pit. Friend, as dark as our world is, eternity is far darker. You know why? There is no light. The Bible called it outer darkness. See, in this world, there is some light, and that's the Christian and it provides hope to the lost man. That if they turn to the light and trust Christ, they can know God. But in eternity, there is no light and no hope and no more chance. The Bible says this in Revelation 20, verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Revelations 21.8, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Mark 9.43-44 says, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell. 
into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Matthew 13, 42. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There is a place called hell, where the worm dieth not and the flame is not quenched, a place of darkness, a bottomless pit, the agonies and the horrors. It is the opposite of everything God is. The Bible tells us in heaven that there's no need for the sun to rule by day or the moon to rule by night, because He is the light thereof. But in hell, there is no light at all. It is completely dark. In glory, we walk in the joys and the pleasures of the presence of God and wonder of Him. But in hell, there is no pleasure, but only heartache and pain and torture and torment, because it is the exact opposite of God, because of a decision that was made not to turn to Christ, but to turn to darkness and to walk in darkness for all of eternity. Can I tell you something, Christian? As much as this is as this world in which we live, it's as dark as it's going to get for us, isn't it? Friend, the night cometh when no man can work, but there's the day star coming. There's a day coming when the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to be with the Lord for all of eternity. Friend, you and I, if you will, when it comes to light and darkness, we're in the night with the sun about to rise. You ever get up early before the sun comes up and you see it off in the distance, the sun beginning to peak? Well, our Lord's about to come. It's a dark world, but that sun's rising. But for the lost man, sun's setting. Any bit of light is left by the Christian who tells others about Christ and time's almost up and it will be darker yet. Hope, gone. The soul that leaves this world without Christ will spend eternity without him in a lake of fire, a bottomless pit, where the worm dieth not. The horrors of hell to be experienced for all of eternity and no reprieve. None. There is a dark present, but there is an even darker yet eternity. You know why God tells us to let our light shine? Because there is a great darkness. Friend, don't let your eyes adjust to the dark. If we're not careful, Christian, our eyes adjust to the dark. We don't see it as sinful as it is, and we don't see it the future as bleak as it is for a lost soul. And we're caught up with our bushels, our beds, our vessels, and, that, and our eyes adjust. The Lord would look at his disciples and don't cover it with your job. Don't cover it with your position. Don't cover it with your leisures. Let your light so shine because this world is dark and there's a darker future coming. And as much as you and I might holler at the TV saying how dark our world is getting and how much darker it's, it's, it's becoming, friend, then get up off of there, get off out of your leisure, get up off out of your labors, get up off, if you will, out of your positions of life and shine forth the bright light. Amen. Don't ever let those things become more important than the light that you shine. Everybody needs a job, everybody needs a bed, and everybody needs a position, but they should never be more important than the light that we hold forth. They should never be more important. There is a great darkness. Then we see this, there is a bright light. John 8, verse 12. Let me read some of these verses to, to you. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John 12, 46. I am come, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. 
John 3, verses 14 through 18, verses we know well. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God said He sent His Son as a light, Friend, this world is dark, but the Lord is brighter. Do you know light is more powerful than darkness? Friend, there is no dark switch in this room. (laughs) There's a light switch. If you were to come into this room and you want light in here, you flip the power on and the light comes on. There's no dark switch. Light is more powerful. The sun comes up and the shadows begin to disappear. And it is true, this world may be dark, and eternity may be darker still, but there is a Savior. There is a Savior. There is a Jesus. I don't care how much you look around this world and say how dark it is, Jesus is brighter. The Lord is brighter, His light is brighter, and we see in this passage of Scripture, there is a light And his name is Jesus. I think of the light of the Lord. I think of the light of his word. Psalms 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my what? Path. I think of that in comparison to 1 Peter 1.23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Remember the day that you were saved? Somebody shared from you from a book how you could be saved. And that book was unlike any other book. It was given by the inspiration of God. And it contained a life-changing message, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of his, de- of his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that he did it all for you. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God would love us so much that he'd see us as a sinner living in a dark world with the sin of darkness within. Headed for an eternity separated from the Lord. And the Lord Lord Jesus Christ would step in to sacrifice himself, not because he was a sinner, but because you and I were sinners. And he would take the price of eternity and sin upon him at at the cross. He would say it is finished as he breathed his last breath and give up the ghost and die for your sin and my sin. And three days later, because the grave could not hold him, he would rise again. He would rise again. We find that message in this book. The light of the word. The light of the Lord, the light of his word. And you want to turn on the light in your life? Right here. Right here. The light of the Lord. The light of his word. And he calls us to be the light bearer. See, we know he rose again, and for 40 days he would appear to unto people, proving his resurrection at one time over 500 times at once. But there he would ascend up into glory from the Mount of Olives, and the angels would tell us he's coming again in like manner. And one day, friend, he's coming back in like manner. But in the meantime, he was the light then, but he didn't leave the world without a light, did he? No, see, that's what he's highlighting here in Matthew chapter 5. Ye, ye are the light of the world. He would call us to be that light in this world. 
Philippians chapter 2, 14 through 16 says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. God says, you're in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, but you're as lights in the world, world holding forth the word of life. Friend, we all have our labors. We all have our positions. We all have our leisures, those restful times that we need. But hold this thing above them all. Above them all. Let your light so shine. Let your light so shine. Because it is dark and it will grow darker still and the greater the darkness as you know, the brighter the light. That as we hold this thing forth above everything and the Lord would look at his disciples and look at those around him and he said, don't hide that light under a bushel. I know that you'll need to labor. I know you'll need your times of rest, but don't hide that light under the times of rest. I know that you'll have positions, but don't hide that light under it, but hold it forth and let your light so shine. This is a dark world and it needs the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he left behind some people to carry it forth. Think of this mission conference. I pray that it grows the desire in our heart to hold forth the light. To send a missionary we cannot go to hold it forth where we can. There are some places I cannot go, so I'll send someone there. But where I'm at, please, dear Lord, don't let my leisure, my position, my labor make me lower the light. But rather let me hold it forth above them all. Before salvation... My position, my labor, my leisure were what mattered. Since salvation, I was given something different. Those things are merely tools in the hand of a light bearer. Place to labor and hold forth the life. Tools of life to hold it forth. And God calls us to bring it forth before this world. And I see this, there can be a great change. Let me read these verses from Acts 26, verse 18. This is Paul speaking of his ministry would speak to a lost world, to the Gentiles, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and in the inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. To open their eyes and to turn them from the darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance, a home in heaven, among them which are sanctified by faith. Talk about a changed life. Colossians 1, 12 through 13, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to the partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us unto the kingdom of his dear Son. The Lord, speaking of our condition before salvation in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespass of sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom ye shine, or, or among, uh, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. That was our condition. Paul would write these words in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know ye not that the, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. 
but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. A changed life. A changed life. See, there's a great darkness and there's a bright light. And friend, there are changed lives. I love that phrase. And such were some of you. The Lord would unveil some of the things that we would look at in this world as the most grotesque of sins. And the Lord would say, and such were some of you. But God saved your soul and shed his blood for you and changed your life. Paul would say in Acts that he would translate from the power of Satan unto God, from darkness to light. God changes lives. I'll tell you something around. There is no soul so caught up in sin that it cannot be saved by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can kick and scream and holler at this world and say it'll never change and life can never be changed. But God clearly says different because his light is more powerful than any amount of darkness that you can ever touch or see. This world may get dark and sin may have its hold, but God can break it all. And he proved it at Calvary. We're not careful though. We'll spend our time hollering. I think if just, the Bible says just Lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. He lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, was a man of position, and he had chosen his, his position and his wealth over, over God, and he had chosen the things of this world, and he sat there, but he was still a just man. He still knew God, and he was vexed by the filthy of the conversation of the wicked, but he did absolutely nothing about it, and he lost all. His wife would turn back toward Sodom and turn to a pillar of salt. His children would turn and remain in Sodom and Gomorrah and face the wrath that was there. And his other daughters would come with him. And in his sin, he would commit great sin with his children. He was vexed, but didn't shine for the light. Noah, a preacher of righteousness, would stand and preach and preach. He didn't just build, he preached. And he would preach. And Noah would take his family on that ark. Friend, are you caving into a dark world or are you shining forth? That is the question for us. Are we caving into a dark world or are we shining forth? The Lord looked at his disciples, the Sermon on the Mount, preparing them to live for an eternity, the kingdom to come. Don't hide your light under a bushel, guys. In Luke, he would say, don't hide it under a vessel, don't hide it under your bed. Shine it forth. It's a dark world. We shouldn't be so naive as to think this world isn't dark. It is dark. And friend, it is getting darker still, and eternity is far darker. But there is still a bright light. His name is Jesus, and the message is in his word, and he left us here as Christians to shine it forth. And it still changes lives. Some of those with lives here today are testimonies to how much it changes. I will tell you this, when you look at the world and you see a soul far from God, there's no need to snub them. There's a need to share the gospel with them. There's no need to say it's helpless and hopeless. There's a need to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. To send the gospel to the farthest places of the world and to the uttermost parts of the world because there is a brighter light than there is a dark, great darkness. And he tells his disciples, ye are the light of the world. Your city that's set on a hill, a corporate body of believers, you and I, the church. As individually, the little candlelights of our home look to God and say, God, what can I do? What person this week can I share the gospel with? How can I give to help get a missionary to a field? How can I pray to help carry these men on their way, these ladies on their way? How can I individually, as a whole bunch of individual Christians, 
shine forth their light. The church's light that goes brighter and brighter and brighter. And shines so much further than the boundaries of Columbus, Georgia. But in the uttermost parts of the world. But it happens one way. When individuals say, I'm thankful for my labor. But it's how I am used for God, not what I live for. I'm thankful for my times of rest because I need them. Because I got a finite body. And I need rest if I'm ever going to serve God. But I'm not going to live for my leisure. I'm thankful for whatever position may God, may God give me in my life. But it's not so that I can revel in who I am. But it's so that I can shine forth the Lord Jesus Christ to a dark world. And as individuals say, I'm not putting my light under a bushel. Remember that little song you used to sing if you were in junior church? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a what? Bushel, no. Hide it under your labor? No. Hide it under your leisure? No. Hide it under your position? No. Let it shine forth. Because as dark as this world may be, your God is greater. And as much as someone's life can be wrapped up in sin, God can change it. As much as a soul may be under the prince and power of this air, God can set them free. Because he is greater. I would challenge you this week. I would challenge you this morning. Lord, who can I share the gospel with? Not whether I should or not, but who can I? Lord, how can I give? Not whether I should or not, but how much? Lord, how can I pray? There's people that got to go, and I need to pray for them. What can I do for my Lord? Lord, how do I shine forth this light? I want to hold it forth. I want this light in my life to shine forth the greatest light, the Lord Jesus Christ. It can't be extinguished, friend, but it can be covered in our life. It can't be put out. If we're not careful, we'll put a lid on it. Lord, how can I shine you forth? Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much. Lord, for the call, I thank you for the privilege. Sometimes if we're not careful, we think of this matter of shining forth as a burden, but what an incredible privilege it is to be an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, to hold forth the light of the gospel, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ to a dark world. Lord, I pray that as you've spoken to our heart, we would respond. And I pray we would not forget this week. Lord, today's Sunday. We're among your people. Tomorrow, we'll go about our week and be among the world. Lord, it's easier to hold forth the light here than it is when we leave here today. And I pray that as we leave here today that we'd hold forth the light of the word, that we tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ, that we lift you up, that we live for the Lord. I pray when the call comes to give or to go that we would be surrendered to what you have for us, realizing we do need labor and we need rest and position, but we must always hold you forth above it all. But as you have spoken to our hearts, I pray that we would respond this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask you this first question of all. Most important question, you can't hold forth a light that you don't have. Do you know the Lord? It is getting darker, friend. Time is running out. Our Savior is coming. Do you know it? Because, friend, if you don't, it's going to be very dark one day. It's going to be a dark that has no hope in it. There is an eternity in a lake of fire. So, preacher, I don't care for that message. I, I know it's not a comfortable message. What kind of person would I be not to tell you about what's coming? And what the scripture said, are you ready for it? 
Let me ask you this, friend. Do you know the Lord? If you could say, Preacher, I know for sure that if I died right now, there was a moment in my life when I called upon Him. I have put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that He died on the cross for me and He rose again for me. I've accepted Him as my Savior. If I died this moment, I know that I'd had heaven, not because I'm a good person, but because the Lord loved me enough to die for me and I've trusted in Him. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand just between you and I and the Lord? Say, Preacher, I know I'm saved. That's settled for me. Thank you. You may put your hand down. Is there anybody here this morning who said, Preacher, I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I could say that, but I want to settle it this morning. I want to know the Lord, and I want my eternity to be certain and that I know that I'm going to spend any future with my Savior. Preacher, would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? You said, Preacher, pray for me. I want to know the Lord this morning. Would you raise your hand? Is there anybody like that? Let me ask you this thing, Christian. Have me say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart. Maybe it's to put that light out front in some means. Maybe it's a specific person God called you to witness to or... Maybe it's just a heart that needs to be more open to what God has for you. But you say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken in my heart this morning in the course of the message. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? And would you stand with me as that pianist begins to play? As the Lord has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord this morning. And don't pass up on an opportunity as God has spoken to speak in return. And I surrender all that song. And I think of the need to just surrender our hearts to what God has done and done in your heart and in your life. But as God has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord this morning.